Hello and welcome to Well, I Know Now, the podcast in which I talk to people affected by dementia in all sorts of different ways. We chat about what they know now, what they wish they'd known earlier and what their experience has taught them about dementia, about life, about anything and everything. I'm Pippa Kelly. My mum lived with vascular dementia for the last decade of her life. She's no longer with us. But one of the main things that mum's dementia taught me and my family was just how little we knew about it. Now, through my work as a dementia blogger and campaigner, I know so much more about this incurable condition. Not least that the smallest things can make a huge difference to those with dementia and their families and carers. The poet Sylvia Plath wrote, Well, I know now a little more about how a simple thing like a snowfall can mean to a person. And dementia teaches you this too. My guest today is a woman who from her earliest childhood has always made things. After gaining a fine art degree in London, she became an art teacher and then head of an art department, later experimenting with conceptual clothing, creating dresses from human hair, corsets from fish skins, influenced by fairy tales, myths, legends. When her mum developed vascular dementia in 2010, she became her carer, changing her, washing her hair, becoming more intimate with her. And then one day, as the two of them prepare butternut squash for lunch, the germ of an idea formed. Many years later, this small seed grew into a unique project, celebrating, honouring and exploring both her mum's life and her dementia and her own part in the process. The result is an extraordinary and compelling set of works with an ethereal, fragile beauty known as the Dementia Darnings. My guest, their creator, is the Somerset-based multimedia artist Jenny Dutton. I'm exploring loss, Jenny says, of the Darnings, which are formed with running stitch and comprise large atmospheric pictures of her mum, taken from photos of her from different stages of her life, including her final years. As her work progressed, Jenny was led by her mum's condition and the emotions it aroused in her, the sense of disjointedness and abstraction, of displacement, belonging, security. She constantly questioned the morality of what she was doing and the motivation behind it. The darnings, she says, became the constant thread binding her life together and stopping it from falling apart. How will I unpick my life from my mum's life? she asks as the years pass. It is as though through the darnings which Jenny examines and scrutinises as she works on them, she came to know her mum in different ways. Her relationship with her became ever closer and she seemed to come to terms with what was happening. She writes in her diary, there is a fascination with the very gradual, slow process of building the layers of threads until they become closely interwoven. I'm working at ways to describe the harshness of dementia, the unravelling of the personality and eventual emptiness. The Darnings have been exhibited throughout the UK, in Dublin, The Hague and China, with plans to show them in the United States and Australia in 2022. Jenny tells me that people's reaction to them has been extraordinary and continues to move her. Your darnings to me are like a picture of love, writes a man called Phil. They reflect the gaze I think we all want to feel on us. Accepting, not demanding. Neither clinging hold of, nor rejecting. 
I have often thought that in the process of dying, that is what I want more than anything, but it goes just as much for living as well. Why is it so difficult to look at ourselves and others in that way? Phil's words are typical of the profound reactions that Jenny's works elicit. Her mum died in 2015, aged 92. It was the most wonderful experience of my life, Jenny records. No pain and no fight, just a glorious amount of gloriousness. So, Jenny Dutton, a huge, huge welcome to Well I Know Now. That, <laughs> yes, thank you. No, that's the most beautiful description of your mum's final moments. And Yes. It is, isn't it? I mean, I've never heard anything quite like it, actually. Um, taking up Phil's theme, just start with you sort of explaining, I mean, do you think that the whole process of creating the Darlings helped you to come to terms with your mum's condition and her eventual death? Oh, very much so, yes. Apart from the fact that it gave me a real focus, it also, by making the dance, it stopped me feeling resentful that I was no longer able to continue the work I had been making mm. because of spending so much time with my mum. Yes. So it was a bit like, you know, I didn't want to become a martyr with the whole thing. I didn't want to feel that I was giving up stuff. I wanted to kind of make this a positive experience, the whole journey through the dementia. I wanted to make it positive. So, and absolutely it helped me completely because I spent so much time with her and I spent so much time with her image and watching and trying to learn and to understand and noticing. I think it's noticing. I noticed mm. the gradual changes. Mm. Mm. That's so interesting because you're an artist, aren't you? So it is your job to observe. Yeah. Yes, very, very, exactly. In very detailed sort of yeah, way. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So I mentioned there this seed of an idea that germinated, and I know it went in different directions, but you were making the butternut squash, you were washing the seeds, and your mum said, yes. I'm a seed. Yes. Seed being her maiden name, and you, you realised yes. that the memories were still there. Well, sometimes things would kind of just come back. Mm. And, and I just thought that was the sweetest thing she yeah. could have said. Yeah. And um, because I'd been talking to her about how when we lived in Cyprus, yes. we used to make jewellery out of melon seeds and things, dry them and dye them. And I was talking to her about that. And then she just suddenly said, I'm a seed. And then I thought, well, that's maybe I can make some work. This is the right at the very, very beginning of making the darlings. Mm. Maybe I can make some work around the situation that I find ourselves in. Mm. And it would help her too. You know, we spent a lot of time at that stage looking through family albums, mm. looking at photographs, talking about who they were. And it just seemed to be an appropriate thing to try and do. Yes, because I mean, a lot of people use, I did with my mum actually, I was so yeah. hopeless looking back. But I mean, it's a common thing to use photographs to, yes. to to look back. But it's extraordinary what you then went on to do with that. I don't know if you can just, you'll be able to explain much better than me, exactly how it was quite a long sort of evolutionary process, wasn't it, of you finally getting to the exact way you wanted to create and then present your darnings, yes. how you did them on a, yes. you know, just hanging, and then you realised you needed to put them on a frame on a canvas. Can you just talk us through that? Because it was very precise wasn't it I think each darning which is each piece yes. from each big photograph of your mum that you blew up 
took about four months? Um, at the beginning, they only took about one month because I wasn't quite so refined. But at the beginning, I started off making a dress because I'd worked in conceptual clothing and I'd been asked to do a talk by the Bristol Embroiderers Guild. I thought, right, if I document the process of making this dress, which is probably why I started off documenting my thoughts and my feelings around all the making I was doing with my mum. And I, I started to make the dress and I embroidered family members' images onto it from our photograph albums. But what absolutely astounded me was the fact that my mum recognised mm. these very, very simple, they're like line drawings in thread on this dress. And she would recognise them. and They were like simple cartoons, really. Right. But anyway, that, that was such a revelation to me. Mm. And she... And I would take them home. I would work from them at home. I'd bring them back to her house. I would work there. I remember at one stage it really snowed very badly, so I had to go and live with her for a week or so. Right. And I, I, I sat and made them with her, and she loved it. Yeah. And I remember once my brother coming to see us, and she was actually telling him about it. So she was recalling something from the day before, which, wow. again, mm. hadn't seemed to happen. And mm. that, for me, was magic. Then I got asked to be part of a big exhibition in Somerset, so I decided to make one of these images very large. I thought they would hang in this lovely big barn mm. and it's like a cathedral. And I thought, well, I'll try and do that. So I had all these ideas. So I started doing this large, very How large, large piece, about a metre by a metre 50. Mm. So I, I was making it flat on a table and sewing into it, very loose, big, loose threads, loose kind of drawing. And then I hung it up and it all kind of stretched then I thought, right, let's put it on canvas. So I put it onto a canvas. And then I thought, well, gosh, this is amazing. I can do so much with this. It just seemed to be a little miracle that the fact that it looked so realistic. You know, when you're working up close to something, yes. you don't see it. But when you look at it from a distance, you think, blimey, that's really interesting. Yes. So I, I kind of developed it from there. And all the kind of ideas, the metaphors kind of came. And yes. I started sort of using long trailing threads representing the threads of memory um, mm. unraveling and things. Mm. And um, so that there was lots going on in my mind. I was quite excited about the whole thing. And I made about three or four, I think, for this exhibition. And I actually took my mum round the exhibition, which was really interesting because she recognised herself from when she was young, the younger version ones, um, two, I think. And there was one with her, of her and her parents, you recognise that? Yes. But the ones where... I'd done two where she was, uh, she was then, yeah. and she thought it was her mother. She didn't oh, recognise them as yes. herself. She said, oh, that's my mother. Yes. And I mean, I didn't, obviously, I didn't um, correct her because mm. by then I'd learnt that don't correct, yeah. it's, there's no point, yes. you know, and yes. don't make her feel silly, yes. Yes. you yes. know. And then I just started to refine the technique and just, you know, really work with it um, with the way that I built up the image. Mm. That was fascinating. I, I just found that completely fascinating. Several aspects of it. The wealth of symbolism that, yes. <laughs> you know, there is in, in, in yep. darning, in mending, in repairing, in yes. threads coming yes. loose, in the thread of memory, forgetting your thread. But also, I was really fascinated by the way that you blew up the photograph very, very large. And then no, the you... photograph wasn't blown up. Oh, OK. So explain. The photograph's quite small. The photograph's about eight by ten. It's the biggest size that Boots will do. <laughs> I mean, I'm really low-tech. So I'd go to Boots, I'd print it out low-tech. So no, no, the photograph's small. That, oh, okay. that sits beside me. That's yeah. got acetate on top of it, and I square it up. 
Well, yeah, that's then, what I mean then. So you squared it oh, up yeah. and you, you made it bigger. You scaled it up. Yeah, then I square up the canvas using very fine thread mm-hmm. and then I just translate sort of one square to the other one and one square to another one. So that enlarges the image. Everything is done in thread. There's no pencil, there's no projection. No, that was one of the things that interested me. You do yeah. very little preparation because yeah. you want to keep it fresh on the canvas. Yes, absolutely. Yes. Which was interesting. But the canvas itself is large. But you work, yes. you purposely decided to just work on these small sections and not even be able to see the rest yeah. of the canvas. Yeah. And so each yeah. time, as you say, this miracle occurred really at the end when yeah. you said they were I'd, often a surprise the... to you. Yeah, oh, completely. Yes, it's called working on the right-hand side of the brain. You know, mm. There's lots and lots of research about it. If you're looking at something, you sort of automatically put down what you think is there. I mean, I work upside down or I, mm. I section areas off and just work on about sort of four or five squares at once. And I do the same with the photograph. Mm. So I'm not actually aware, although I vaguely know, mm. what I'm looking at. So, for instance, there's some areas that are really difficult, you know, around the nose, underneath the nose, around the eyes. And sometimes it's it's almost unbelievable. You can't think, well, that can't be right. But there mm. is, especially when you come to work with colour. Mm. You know, that that's a bright green. OK, so I'd put it down. So... I would not. I wouldn't have any kind of knowledge uh, mm. about what something was, what it should look like. Gosh! And so I don't look at the final thing till yeah. quite near the end. Towards the end, I, I might have a little peek under the sheet, <laughs> just to sort of check. But the trouble is that if you look at something and you think, "Oh God, that's brilliant! That's really great!" Mm. That is the worst thing that can happen because it, you tighten up. And you stop pushing and you stop experimenting. Mm. The best thing is if you just keep on going with just balancing up, making with the kind of concept, Mm. with the final image. Mm. And so it's sort of like a game, really. Also, it makes me work quite fast because the later ones do take about three or four months to make. Mm. They are Mm. very long. And Mm. I work every morning because if you don't get on with it, it just drags and Mm. drags. Mm. Mm, mm. But it does become fascinating. Absolutely. I mean, I think there's, again, yes. there are echoes of, yes. possibly without being too sort of cod psychologist about it, of, you know, the brain with dementia yep. and these yep. tangles and snares and bits yep. of the brain not working yep. and you just using your right brain and all this sort of thing. Yeah. We said, didn't we, when we, when we spoke actually earlier on in the summer, when I contacted you about this, that it's so strange that then when they all are revealed... They are incredible. And I was very worried that this being a podcast, like a radio, like nobody can actually see them. And I said, oh, Jenny, I'm worried because we're actually talking about something that's so visual. And and I just encourage everybody listening to this to look at your website. And I mean, they are the most amazing pictures. They are so detailed and they are so lifelike. They're very impactful. Very. I think it's the scale. I think it's because they're so large. Mm. Um, which which sort of almost seems unnecessary. I mean, they're, they're the size they are, because that's the largest I can get into my car. You know, really, <laughs> I love your practicalities all the time. Well, I, you know, I'm very practical. That's how I focus. Uh, I have a, a small Yaris, and that's the biggest <laughs> I can get in. I can get three in and drive safely. Right. You know, I I like them to be really. I think because when you're up close to them, there mm. it's a completely different experience yes. from when you're further away. Yes. Again. Like people with dementia, you know, you walk into a care home. I used to walk into my mum's care home and there's lots of little old ladies, little old men sitting around looking all kind of tiny and mm. and a bit dis- detached from life. Mm. And yet you just go up to any one of them and hold their hand 
and mm. talk and engage and mm. sing completely different yeah you know and i think with the whole of this making the darnings there's been so many associations that work and apart from the fact that sewing and mending and darning is traditionally i hope i don't get into trouble for this women's work mm, mm, and mm. you know we go back to that whole kind of thing and the time they take the work is mm. about time mm. they take so long you can't work fast mm, you mm, can't rush mm, anything mm, it's mm. all you say it's slightly meditative when you do it you get oh, into it it's is very mm. yes and i mean i can kind of drift off i mean i try not to work for longer than an hour or so. i mean after an hour i tend to sort of need to get up and walk around and yeah. I often go and walk up to the shops or something because mm, mm. I couldn't possibly work a whole day because it gets stale and mm. you have to kind of manage your working situation mm. so I don't in the afternoon I often don't work because I like to kind of anticipate and get interested and excited about coming back to work the next day mm. you know otherwise it can get really like oh mm. you know and I mean until you get towards the end then it gets really exciting again. Mm. You know, creative processes have similarities. And I was thinking about when I was writing my novel in the morning. I used to say that, right, I'm going to write from sort of eight or nine till one. And then hopefully yes. if I'm in the right sort of mode, I'll carry on. But I must do that, yeah. even if I feel like it's the last thing yes. on earth I want yes. to do. I've got to sit there and do yeah. it. But with writing, you get so wrapped up in it that you will then, hours will pass. And then you'll look up and then you'll think, oh, wow, and that's a really good day. But yours is different in a way, because with the writing you're going along with the way the creation is taking you, but that will be probably positive. With you, it's because you're doing these small bits that you can't see the whole of it, again, a bit like a novel, but interesting that you feel you need to bring a freshness to it. There's a difference there. There's a big difference there, I feel, mm. that you need to get mm. away from it and come back to it. You do to an extent with writing, but... I think it's also, it's quite physical because mm. I'm sitting mm. down, mm. Um, I'm holding my arms up. Uh, right. I get very sore shoulders. I mean, oh, sometimes okay. it's it's just that as well. And I'm kind of leaning and doing things and you get very kind of tied up. I've been to the osteopath this week because <laughs> my, my back does strange things. But I have to do sort of shoulder rolls and I have to kind of stop and stretch. Yes. And I think it's that sort of, I'm, I'm quite tense when I'm doing them. Yes. I think that's quite a lot to do with it. Yes, it is actually quite physical in that sense. Yes. Yes, yeah, yes. I mean, although it's just sewing, you know, it does feel yeah, it does feel like I, I need to kind of move around a right. bit. No, I understand that. And just before yeah. we go sort of more into your mum's dementia itself, because I think people will be interested in that. But another thing about the actual darnings and the making of them really intrigued me was it was very much the process, really. And you kept questioning what you were doing. That was very mm. sensitive. I could tell that from the diaries mm. that you mm. kindly sent mm. me. Mm. All the way through it, you are constantly questioning your motives mm. for doing it. Is this right? You know, is it mm -hmm. right? Am I exploiting my mum? And you spoke to your daughter and your brother, Brian, your daughter, and Jamie, your brother, about whether they, how they felt about it. And at one point, actually, you say that it looked amazing. And then that was a, you worry because you thought, oh, I don't want my ego to get in the way. I don't want to try mm. and create something perfect or <clears throat> that wasn't mm. the point mm. of it. Can you tell mm. us more about that? You know, as an artist, you know, I live down in Somerset. You want to kind of get your work out there. You need to kind of get your work seen. And I'm thinking, gosh, you know, there became to be quite a lot of interest in the work. I mean, I had never, ever anticipated making so many. And I never anticipated there being so much interest in them. Mm. And so I think that's what I meant by that ego thing. You know, mm. you sort of mm. think, oh, and yet I felt it was so important to balance my mum's dignity you know would she mind me doing this you know mm, mm. um 
that kind of thing. And it was such a, a balance. I didn't want to feel that I was exploiting her image. I mean, it was done with such love. Yeah, but that but, comes through. Yes, but on the other hand, I could see that I was thinking, oh, gosh, that's really interesting. That's an interesting pose. I was detaching myself, not very much, but I was detaching myself from the fact that this was my mother. Mm. And, mm. And, and I think also... One thing I ought to say, really, is that I was very lucky in that she managed the whole thing well. We didn't have awful tantrums. We didn't have anxieties around her well-being, you know, her mm. sort of her, her approach to it all. Mm. So I always felt she was happy. I often used to wonder because we were close, but we're not very similar at all, my mum and I. She was she's very small and dainty and ladylike and girlish. And I'm very tall and a bit boisterous, mm. and we were very not similar at all. And she used to kind of find my work, it, well, I don't know if she found it interesting. She used to, I used to tell her stuff, obviously. Was she creative? Was, was she artistic? No, no, not at all. No, not really. And so, you know, the, my parents, they were sort of, you know, encouraging, but they didn't really get it. And so I, I used to sort of wonder what she'd think about mm. it. She didn't like fuss, you know. She's a lovely, lovely, lovely lady, but mm. she didn't like any fuss. And mm. I think she would have found this, oh, you know, what a fuss. You know, so I, I don't know how to explain the ego thing. That's the best I can do, I think. No, that's, that's, I think there's often a tension when you're writing or creating something that is very personal and involves somebody yes. else, you know, and what they think of it. So I think that's a, a common thought. But I was very intrigued by the way you were really constantly questioning it. Um, oh, yes. To the extent that you got worried when it looked too good almost. You know, that, that, that wasn't really the thing. Now, take us back to your mum's dementia and how it began to display itself and when you and possibly was it your brother and you both noticed that things were going a little bit awry maybe or well, what happened? Well, I, th I think it was more my daughter. Hmm. My daughter, um, she lives in Cardiff, but she used to come down once a week. She teaches creative writing. And she used to come down once a week and um, teach down here in Somerset. And she used to stay overnight with my mum, which gave me a break. Mm. And so she was a brilliant, constant person who would kind of be aware of it also. Mm. Also, she has done work with people with dementia as well in, in the work she does in Cardiff. So she was kind of very aware of all the sort oh, of right. what was it all about. So I think the first time I really noticed it, so we were going off to a golden wedding party of some old friends of hers. I mm. think it was golden wedding. And my mum dressed herself in the most extraordinary combination of clothes. And she was always very kind of smart, sophisticated. And I remember thinking that doesn't quite work. And I, I didn't make anything of it, didn't mm. do anything of it because she was a bit flustered. Mm. And I think that was quite a kind of an indication. Mm. And then I think... It started slowly, you know, as these things always do. You know, I would get sort of strange phone calls and then she'd phone me again and then she'd phone me again asking the same question. That kind of thing was going mm, on. Mm. And then it sort of gradually developed from there, really. But I learned at that stage not to contradict her and mm. to kind of go along with things and not to tell her that I've already answered that. Mm. You know, mm. so uh, we, we kind of learned, well, I learned alongside her with all of that. Mm. Um, mm. You know, although my grandma did live with us for quite a few years mm. in the, oh, I suppose, 60s. And she had dementia too. So I, I was kind of mm. aware of, then it was called senile dementia, I think. Mm. And mm. so I could see, I mean, it caused quite a lot of friction in our family. You know, with my dad, you'd get very sort of stressed about the whole thing. So I kind of knew a bit about how to deal with it. And just the general forgetfulness and the general sort of 
you know, difficulty of keeping her organised and feeding. She would kind of eat lunch at breakfast time and right. that sort of thing. You but know, she was living what on her? Where was your dad? Well, she was living this? on her own. I, I, my dad died in 1999, mm. so this is way after he died. Mm. So mm. she was living on her own. On her own. Mm. Yeah, but it was. It's only about three miles from where I live. Mm. Mm. So um, my parents came down to live near me about 15 years, I suppose, before my dad died. Mm. So mm. I was obviously being the responsible daughter. I was expected to look after them. Mm. And where was your brother? Where does he live? Uh, he lives in London. Right, so he was a bit further away. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Interesting. And he's ha- always been mm. very supportive, but mm. you know, he, mm. he he has a young family. Mm. He's he had a full-time job then, mm. you know, so I mean it was easier for me. He was always so supportive and always telling me told me I was doing a good job. Mm. Mm. but you did really have to take on this carer role. Oh, I did. Yes. Mm. I had to decide because I had a studio 3 or 4 miles in the other direction and I had to give that up because I had to give my work up. I was doing a lot of artist-in-residence work with various um, organisations and mm. I had to kind of give that up and stuff. So, And I had to give up my studio. because that I around just 2010? It... Yes, yes. yes. So, so yeah. five years. I mean, your mum died yeah. in 2015. Yeah. I managed to move all my studio stuff into her big double garage that wasn't being used. And mm. Oh, that was another thing too, driving. Mm. Uh, mm. That was very tricky, stopping mm. the driving. She mm. didn't like that at all. Mm. But, so common um, my daughter, Yeah, my daughter did say that you know, she was actually a bit anxious. You know, she kind of backed once round onto a main road and mm, mm. turned round. That did cause a bit of friction. Mm. How did you do it in the end? Oh, well, I just had to take the keys away. Mm. And mm. I had to leave her little notes to tell her that, you know, she wasn't able to drive anymore. Mm. And and then I, I used to leave her little notes a lot. And then she used to write notes back, really slightly vicious <laughs> notes about saying things like, when is Jenny going to get this sorted? Will she ever... I can remember these little notes you used to uh, leave. She talked about you in the third person, did she? Like, yes, uh. yes, yes. It wasn't to me. It was just like sort of something she'd thought of. To herself almost, yeah. Yes, I don't know if she was reminding herself that I hadn't done something. Mm. But she was. She soon got used to that, I think. I actually got rid of the car and then that she wasn't able to see it. Mm. Mm. Because she used to walk a lot. She was endlessly walking. She lived in Milverton in Somerset and mm. she used to walk endlessly mm. with it. she had a little dog a little tiny black and white papillon dog oh did she and she, she used to yes. walk round and round and round the village yes with her coat on and then she'd come yeah. back sit down take her coat off come back sit down then get up put her coat back on and go out again you know endlessly. Right. yes and people were very used to seeing her yes in fact she's on google street view she's been caught on it has she Yes, it's so sweet um, to see a little picture of my mum and her dog. Very sweet, yeah. In Milverton. Yes. But um, that eventually became tricky because she'd phoned me in at sort of nine o'clock at night saying she's just been to the shops and it's dark and the shop isn't open. Why is not, you know, mm. so it all became, you know, a bit more difficult mm. from that mm. point of view. Mm. But it was very clever of you, I think, very self-aware. I didn't understand this at all when it happened to me to recognise in yourself that there's a conflict going on, really, because you absolutely want to look after this person you love, which was exactly the same for me, and was sort of really in some ways more with my dad, um, who wanted to remain at home, and he didn't have dementia, my mum had dementia in in the nursing home. But this wanting to look after them, but also feeling a sort of slight resentment, well, it's more than slight, actually, but it's a deep-seated, you're not really aware of it, that your own life, whatever that might be with you, you know, your residencies and your art, your creative work, was being put on hold or skewed out of normal context because you were spending so much more time doing what you wanted mm. to do, mm. but you hadn't sort of 
I don't know, I think a lot of us haven't really kind of factored that into our lives. You know, we think well, we're going to be doing this and then we'll do that. And, you know, you have all your plans. And that mm. resentment can build up. I mean, in me, it became quite a big thing. Very deep-seated, as I say. I had to go and sort of seek some counselling about it because I was finding myself all over the place. You know, my husband said, I, mm. think, I think you're very angry all the time. And I didn't know why. Mm. And I had to mm. go and have it teased out of me. And as I say, it's not because you don't want to do it. It's just that your life's taken this strange course you hadn't really foreseen. So for you to really think, okay, I was very struck by that. This is something mm. we can do together. And I'm not giving up my identity mm. and you talk about that as well how you were then had been known as your mum's carer and then mm. you know and what that does to you mm. and what that does to well, a person the carer yeah I was very aware that I didn't want to be cross about the whole thing mm. I suppose mm. I had other friends as well who've gone through the whole process of looking after family members also mm. one very big thing actually in my life personally I'd just come out of a long relationship mm. I'd been living with somebody and that relationship had finished I think two three years around that time anyway mm. Mm. so I was I was living back in my own home again and I suppose in a sense I was quite lonely the timing and, was um, was okay yeah, absolutely. Mm. I didn't have any commitments to anybody else. Mm. I didn't have mm. a partner. I didn't. Mm. Have, my daughter was living in Cardiff. Mm. She was okay. And I just thought, let's get really involved. And I think that's yeah. why I did a lot of writing around it, because mm. I thought this is going to be a project. I mean, mm. I taught for years, mm. so I'm kind of aware about keeping notes and, and things. Mm. I quite like documenting my process as I go along. Mm. So I thought, let's, you know, let's get really involved and try and understand what's going on mm. and make work around it. When I started to put the work out there about it, I mean, I did a few talks around the work and that kind of thing. I was going to ask you and that, actually, yes, how much you wrote around it and talked around it as well as the well, work I've, I've done, I've done quite a few talks of the Embroiderers Guild, that kind of thing, and, and, and in colleges and um, schools and things. But not so much. I mean, it's, it's more been more about exhibiting. And also another thing, because I was getting my mum's carer allowance, I was getting an allowance from her. I didn't actually have to earn my own living, mm. as it were. I didn't mm. have to mm. kind of worry about Didn't feel income. the pressure of that. Mm. No. And so Jamie and I worked out how I could have some sort mm. of an income mm. from her money. Because, mm. I mean, another thing, she, she wasn't badly off. So we mm. didn't have all those kind of pressures. Mm. Mm. So, mm. in fact, I did look upon it as a bit of a liberation in a mm. sense that I wasn't mm. having to mm. so you know I, I, it, it isn't all selfless believe me I really didn't want to be a sort of selfless person about this I mean I really wanted to get something out of it mm. I mean that's, I don't know if that sounds well I don't know just well that's the truth I wanted to get something out of this experience and go with it right the way through to the end do look everybody at, at uh, Jenny's site and then you've got a couple of films on there of the mm. exhibitions, it's, it's it's a shame. I don't think there are any more at the moment, are there? I mean, there can't be because of the COVID situation. And no, but no. you know, if you you see the the public's reaction, mm. um, and I, I don't think there's a lot of writing around. They're just looking at these incredible yeah. sewing yeah. works. You know, these darnings, yeah. which I can't sort of get my head around it to begin with. Yeah. Um, and their reaction, and then you sent me a lot of the feedback. You know that you've got, and it's all. It's quite deep. It's quite profound. Yeah, um, yeah. And I'm sure that you would never have seen, as you say, you wouldn't see that coming. But no. they say, you know, and even people who say there was one, wasn't there, who said, actually, I haven't really been affected by dementia, but I found this so moving. But then a lot mm. of people who have been affected by dementia would just say, yes, I see my mum in that. Mm. Um, but it's also about ageing. I was really keen when I was making the images later on in my mum's life where she's looking really depleted and very fragile and fragile. I, 
I mean, I didn't mind those sort of images. Mm. I just think one should not shy away no. from those kind of images. They are fine. I mean, obviously, you don't want anybody to be in any pain or you don't want to be unhappy. But she looked so frail and fragile, and she was. She was a teeny, tiny little mm. thing. Mm. But she was fine. You know, I mm. would hold her hand mm. and I would go in to see her, hold her hand and tell her it was me. And she wasn't speaking. She wasn't able to speak much towards the end. And she'd just go, <laughs> and she was obviously so delighted. Yeah. Well, you're talking about the work. Um, I toured the work with a knitting and stitching show mm. a couple of years ago, and we went to London and Harrogate and Dublin. And that was the most extraordinary experience because they were exhibited in a kind of chronologically, and people were coming in. I was went through boxes of tissues. I had so many people mm. crying, I can, I can and people that. wanted to talk to me about. Well, they wanted to tell me about their story. They do, don't and, they? I find that yes. And and that's lovely, absolutely lovely. Mm. And it was mm. a great opportunity to listen to people's stories. Mm. I mean, I, I did need to take breaks quite a bit because yes. it did get a bit heavy. Yes, yes. But no, I feel exactly um, the same. Was, that happens to me. Yes, mm. and it's so important. So I think mm. the more mm. we can all talk, talk about, about dementia mm. and talk about ageing and talk about dying. Absolutely. Because, again, that experience for me, I mean, I think I, I talk about glorious gloriousness of it. I mean, it really was because I think I was so relieved. I mean, mm. I'd been anticipating, I was going to say looking forward, but I was anticipating her death for ages. Mm. And she got mm. frailer and frailer. And when she stopped eating and drinking, obviously, we knew the end was coming. Mm. And the last few days, I just sat with her and, you know, went in and out with her. Mm. And um, on the day she died, I was so pleased that I was able to be with her. It was a lovely sunny day. Mm. It was in the middle of the day. She wasn't in any pain. And I was able to sit with her and hold her hand and sing with her a little bit and to talk to her and things just gently and just watch and be with her. And I mean, I think it's such a privilege. I, I think I've been very lucky and I, I do I hear my spouting on about it now, but I think lots of people don't get that opportunity. And I think I was so grateful because I think having gone through the whole journey with her, I would have been very disappointed if I'd missed the final bit and you know, missed being able to be with her. I mean, she gave birth to me. It's only fair that I was there when she died. You know, it was um, it was just lovely. Although, you know, obviously lots of people have different experiences, and um, we were just lucky. You know, it oh, was perfect. That's, that's really moved me. Actually, I'm very rarely moved now, but I'm, yeah, um, yeah, I missed. Oh, you see, I'm sorry. No, 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 you no, see, no, no, no. I had another, I had another very wonderful experience with her the day before, but that yeah. is so, it's so, I was just trying to go through my notes because I picked out really what you just said, because you've written that in uh, your diary about being a lovely yeah. sunny day and that, and then you actually, yeah. I was just going to say, and you said it, and it's just so moving. I'm sorry. I don't, I very rarely get overcome like that, but that was very, it was, mm. you know, it's just beautiful um I know I sort of really decided I wanted to talk to you when I read and she's coming on to my podcast later on so here's a bit of a spoiler alert I am having Nikki Gerrard on my podcast and I'm really Yay. looking forward to that don't anybody doesn't know her she's the the, the very well-known author a uh, very successful author but she wrote about you actually I'm just going to say this now it should be your turn to blush Jenny um <laughs> Nikki wrote in her beautiful book what dementia teaches us about love Jenny Dutton's tender, unsqueamish relationship with her mum has much to teach us as a society. Somehow she found the wisdom and humanity to look steadfastly at what it is to be a failing mind 
in a wasting body and feel nothing but compassion, love and joy. I'd forgotten that. Yeah, yeah. I do think I was lucky and I just think that it was not difficult for me to be like, to do that. I mean, you were, you were talking about what things we've learned, mm. what we didn't know before we yes, were involved absolutely. in dementia. Yes, yes, yes. Thank well, you for bringing me back a... on track with my own podcast. No, no, no. No, but one thing... <laughs> I always forget I to ask to... people that. One of the things that I did learn through all this, I didn't mm. know for, I didn't know that I could be like that. I didn't know that I would have that kind of patience mm. and selflessness at that yes. time to be like that so and that, revealed that really something about yourself Real, revealed oh, a lot about yourself mm. yes oh completely and that's why balancing that with the ambition for the work I was making isn't this isn't ambition for me really it's ambition mm. for the work for mm. the series the dementia mm. darnings mm. that was the sort of balance I was trying to kind of create it's, it's very strange I, I don't know I mean now it's because it's five years since my mum died I still get, if I, if I go into an exhibition of my, when I go in first to the exhibition, it's all been hung, I get such a sort of jolt because I kind of forget the impact of them and things. Mm. But I am more used to them now. I'm not quite so affected. My brother and my daughter are still quite affected by particularly the last one, which is just, a, a, you know, the photograph has taken a day or so, I think, mm. not very long before she died. Mm. Mm. And mm. I wasn't sure about doing it and Mm, I just thought mm, no it's mm. fine yeah no I think this importance of death and the dying and recognizing that it's such a it's really weird because when you say it it sounds obvious but it's such an important part of life yeah it's the one thing we all do yeah Uh, it comes to us all anyway to slightly change you're now working on your own aging or thinking of this and I love the title it's the absurd sewn selfies so just tell us about that because that'll be wonderful to go and see I'm sure oh they're amazing yes well I decided I needed to get away from all the kind of angst of should I be using this image blah 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 Mm. I thought hey let's just do me (laughs) the first two I made I just pulled the worst face I could pull took a selfie oh yeah (laughs) I've not seen them they're they're hilarious Um, I pulled a really really (laughs) stupid face what did you do what did you do Put your fingers uh, in your mouth them, and pull them. Yeah. And one of them's got my mouth wide open. And, yeah. and then I, I've done the darning yes, do we, I am putting a lot of your pictures up on the show yeah. notes, everybody. And yeah. I'm also, because this is such a visual topic, I am going to do a blog around it. So yeah. look out for those and you, you'll see these beautiful pictures. And maybe we can get, I don't know whether we're allowed to yet or whether we could give some of these absurd selfies. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yes. Well, they're all on Twitter and Instagram. Mm, if, okay. if, you, if, if people want to go to that. I don't <laughs> know if they're on my website yet. But anyway, I'm enjoying doing those. And... That's my freedom. It's, it's mm. to make myself look as bad as I can and then think, well, it can't be any worse than that. <laughs> and where are you at with that? Um, I've made six. Are they big? And I've got, oh, yeah, the same size as mm, the other ones, mm, mm. 130 by 90. Mm. And, um, oh, yes, they're, they're very much the same formula yeah. and just they're me. Yes. And slight, slightly shocking. <laughs> but anyway, I've got an exhibition, I think, of those next year at a gallery in Somerset. They have been exhibited in Oxford last year. They are out there, your, oh, yes, yes, your observed yes, selfies. Yes. Oh, right. Yes. Okay. So I didn't realise uh, that. Yeah, they've been exhibited in Bridport and Oxford last year. Oh, okay. So, um, no, they're, they're quite hilarious. Oh, good. I wonder so, we can all sort of get out of this weird world where we're all restricted. Oh, yeah, yeah. It would be wonderful to, to see some of Because I haven't seen them in the flesh, so or in the No, and in also... The, in the sewing. 
I've got two exhibitions next year planned in cathedrals, one in mm. Norwich Cathedral oh, and wow. one in Hereford. But oh, Norwich gosh. Cathedral, it's actually been postponed for a year because it was in February. Right. Yeah. And it's not going to be easy, I think. And also Dippy the Diplodocus is going to be in Norwich Cathedral. Oh, it's okay. now on lockdown somewhere. Right. Um, so but it's in Hereford <laughs> Cathedral. Yeah. And... Um, various places so it's all been a bit tricky I think with Covid yes and yes. we'll have to see what happens next yes. I'm quite good at keeping Instagram and Twitter up keeping it live so, yes yes I, I'm, I'm on there so that's what I kind of post stuff regularly oh, about well I will start things. avidly to follow you on, on thank Instagram. you yes. yes well thank you very very much Jenny that was you. you know so fascinating I just cannot recommend people enough to look at your pictures and when hopefully we can all go out and actually see them for real, to do it, because I haven't, as I say, but just even looking at the photographs and the, the films as well of people, other people yes. and their reactions is extraordinary. I mean, it's very difficult to put into words, but it's just wonderful the way you you used your skill to then draw out these fantastic insights into dementia and your relationship with your mum. So thank you very much for telling us all about that, Jenny. Thank you, Pippa. Thank you. It's been fun. When my wonderful sound engineer Gareth emailed me the first edit of this podcast, he commented that it was obvious that Jenny and I had a good rapport. We certainly did. I loved her passion, her sensitivity, her fluency, not only with threads and stitching, but with words. What a skill she has and how well and cleverly she's used it to explore dementia from a very personal perspective, as well as a more philosophical one. I can't wait to see the dementia darnings for real, to experience their impact from a distance and their minute details up close. You can see them on Jenny's website at www.jennydutton, which is J-E-N-N-I-D-U-T-T-O-N.com forward slash dementia darnings. And on Instagram, She's Jenny Dutton 9342. And hopefully, COVID-19 permitting, in the not too, too distant future, we can see her fabulous sounding, absurd sewn selfies. I can't wait. And finally, if you've enjoyed listening today, I would be very, very grateful if you would rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast on whichever platform or channel you're listening to it on, as this will help spread the word about the podcast, and then together perhaps we can further diminish the stigma, increase the knowledge, and quash the myths surrounding dementia.